reading, not after I was like, I read The Hobbit and liked it. And then I was reading Lord of the Rings. And it was so dry and detailed that I think at a certain point, I thought, if I'm going to learn all this fictional history, I think I would rather learn history of the real world. Oh, it's your origin story. I think it really is. I think that I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn like kings and queens. I want them to be the actual ones, not some made up fairy kings and queens. Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions shape our identity and our lives. I'm your host, Pam Schaefer, and our producer is Laura Studeris. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine. If you like what you hear, you can head over to our Patreon to support us directly and get transcripts of all of our episodes, or you can come hang out with us on your favorite social media platforms, where we can be found under WNB the podcast. For this episode, we were joined by writers Dana Schwartz and Karama Donkwa. For the record, they are two of the funniest human beings that I know. I hope that you enjoy our chat. See the creepy robot recording in progress voice. She's very soothing to me. <laughs> right? Right? It's the sound of Zoom is working instead of randomly restarting itself. That's a fun one. I love that for me. That happens to me once a week. I don't know if it happens to you both, but it's like my Zoom will just be like, it's time to update. Boom. And I'm like, no. Oh, oh God. <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't know where. Mine, mine doesn't quite do that. But sometimes it's like, there's a bad connection. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pop you out for a second and pop you back in. <laughs> just for funsies. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just as a delight. So you both were recording podcasts today earlier, right? That ended up no. not happening because <laughs> of me. Um, <laughs> I'm still in the desert. I met my mom's. Um, it's a whole thing. Amazing. Amazing. She's not here, which is why I was on the phone with her. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. What? Tell everybody that will be listening. What is the podcast that hypothetically you are going to record in the near future? Then? <laughs> It is a podcast called Rain on Me, which is through the Noble Blood Patreon, where Karama and I go through every episode of the CW television show Rain about Mary Queen of Scots. CW masterpiece. Thank masterpiece. You. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Dana is the one that knows about history, and I'm the one that knows about the CW. So. It's true. We're a perfect match. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think every relationship should have one person that knows about history and one person that knows about the CW. Yeah. There we go. I need to find my CW mate because I joke that like with my podcast, like my producer brings the calendar and I bring the chaos. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) you've got to have. (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, does that make, does that make history the calendar? Does Dana bring the calendar? Yeah. I bring the calendar, the 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 historical calendar. Yes. Although we have determined, if you listen to the podcast, that it takes place in the year of, um, what's the year? 1535? 1535? 1552 CW. That's the year. Yeah. So like not AD, CW. It's its own timeline. (laughs) It's a parallel universe. There's like a Gregorian calendar. There's the Jewish calendar. There is the CW calendar. All of the different calendars. There we go. That's amazing. 
And with, with that, I was thinking of all of like the research that goes into noble blood. I was like, so to, so to do that for the CW, I was like, wait, do you then have to do like equal research for like CW and, and history? I'm like, no, I, I, I don't do equal research because I do, I do like, like hundreds of pages, like every episode of noble blood, like I work really hard to make sure it's, it's very accurate. And the thing about uh, rain is it's very inaccurate and <laughs> Even but though we so, love that we love it about it, but it's like there's no real equivalent of of research. I think that the best research is like when Karama comes to me and reminds me or informs me that one of the characters is played by Donald Sutherland's son, <laughs> which is just yes. like Kiefer Sutherland's half brother. And we like speculate on what holidays they do or do not spend together as a family. So like, that's the research that we bring to rain on me on the noble blood, Patreon, noble blood, well-researched, historically accurate rain CW time. I will say though, there is something to the fact that with rain on me, we are people that were alive and actively around while the show was airing. So a lot of the research that happens is around the context of the airing of the show. So like, why are they using Uh this music? This, (laughs) we we at one point said that the theme song sounded like the Lumineers and it turned out it was indeed the Lumineers. Indeed it was. (laughs) Really good reason. (laughs) I also think that like when we do do historical research, it's a lot of like, oh, so that thing that they did in the show on this wild plane of reality, actually has like a kernel of truth in things that actually happened. Like the forks. We went into a lot of fork conversation. Where um, uh, Catherine de' Medici did introduce forks to French court. Uh, they like made a little joke about it. It's like, oh, my mother says that this is a tool of diplomacy. And it's like, yeah, it's a fork. It's like, actually, it was. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so prior, were they just like stabbing and scooping? Like sans fork? Is that what the maneuver was? Like what, what was like table etiquette prior knives god's God's forks got it well and then one of the using the term god's forks one of the reasons that people were like very averse to forks for a long time is because it reminded them of the devil's pitchfork and they were like no this is for hay only hay and the devil hay and the devil the devil is torturing people and also doing bales of hay constantly as we all know what? Farmers oh and God. Satan, the only people that are allowed forks. <laughs> I was just like, I have no follow up questions because all of this, I'm just like, that's a great band name. That's a great band name. That's another great band name. I'm like, God's forks. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Farmers and Satan. <laughs> like, I want to hear those are the people that should be writing the theme song. God's forks. I would listen. The Lumineers did a great job. Love the Lumineers. Very much a 2013 choice. Yes, there was (laughs) someone. Someone called it. I don't remember the exact. It was like twangy, stompy music. Like twang, stomp, twang, stomp, twang, twang, stomp. Yes, yes. Yes. So it's like a a four on the floor, but there's like an aggressive mandolin, and it's Mm -hmm. like that was like a little washboard with a with like a spoon. Yeah, it's sort of like the the Irish people on the Titanic. Yes, the Irish people on the Titanic. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. That was a very specific time. There was it was right after the everybody whistling in a song time. I think that overlapped. Mm -hmm. I think there's a Venn diagram of whistling and and shouting hey in songs. 
Right. That's it's 2013. That's yeah, the, <laughs> the question is like, is the band wearing hats or vests Ooh. or both? Oh, I was going to say the kind of like, I don't know what to call them other than like the newsies hats. Yeah. There was like that thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. I'm with you. Yes. That was a specific vibe. I heard, by the way, that someone said that um, Twee and uh, Sleaze. Yeah. That those things were like looping back around into our cultural landscape. Yeah. According to the, the children on TikTok. The TikTokers say that it's happening, but a lot of like fat TikTokers are like, no, no, like, no, no. Because remember when this happened and everyone was fat phobic? Yeah, it's a and very then, fat phobic aesthetic. And oh, then yeah. people were like, oh, yeah, we didn't know that because we were little babies then. Oh, yikes. We don't like fat phobia. But then some of them are like, I don't know. Maybe I do like fat phobia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do I like fat phobia? Question mark. So I don't know what's on your TikTok. i I get a lot of like. Body neutrality, mental illness, um, music, animals doing silly things. Like, wow, did I watch a porcupine eat a biscuit last night on TikTok? I get people <laughs> dancing to Broadway musical stuff. Mostly. I get a lot of stuff on race. Um, I, what else do I get? Um, oh, I get a lot of stuff on Twilight. <laughs> it's race and Twilight. Sometimes race in Twilight because Stephanie Meyer was uh, Myers, Myers. Um, Meyer. Now I can't remember what her last name is. I feel like I blanked it out of my brain at some point. It's Meyer. I'm going to say it's Meyer. Meyer's with an S. Fucking A. I did a Google. Google. You're allowed to swear. (laughs) (laughs) So Stephanie Myers, um, I should have known because my friend, Michelle Myers, who's an incredible author, um, she has a sister named Stephanie. So people Uh think that she is Stephanie Myers sister. But she's not. She's a different Stephanie Meyer sister because Stephanie Myers of Twilight fame actually spells her Stephanie differently than most people spell her Stephanie. Stephanie. Mm, yeah, she's Stephanie. Most people are Stephanie. Stephanie. Yeah. So she's got an E there. But so Stephanie Meyer is very adamant that there are va- there are no vampires of color. There are no black vampires. Wait. And if there's a black a vampire. vampire- there's a black vampire in Twilight because Catherine Hardwick fought really hard for that black vampire. That guy, Laurent, the character was not black in the book. I didn't read the books. Well, that's your first. Wait, mistake. so she thinks that if a black, <laughs> does she think either that um, black people physically can't become vampires or when they're bitten, they become white people when they're bitten, the venom drains the melanin out of them because it makes them pretty. <laughs> It's but very, the, it's very Mormon. Actually, melanin and blood it. isn't, that's not the, the same. Like you're pale because you're blood, but you're melanin. Dana, Dana, I, I know this. Dana I understand the how vampires work. Karama is bringing the chaos. You're pale because the blood, it's the blood that makes your skin pink. You don't some- understand. You don't understand the, uh, the lore surrounding Twilight. I don't. Oh, I don't. oh my God. So in Twilight, I I love that this is what we are talking about. It's like this episode of Why Not Both brought to you by Twilight. (laughs) Um, So in the lore of Twilight, venom is what turns you into a vampire. So the vampires have like venom, like they're snakes in their body. And it like 
courses through your body and it burns and it's awful. Great. Uh, so it's I not, mean, not about great, draining but... you. It's not about like draining you of blood. It's about filling you with venom and the venom changes you on a cellular level. And so if you were dark skinned in life as a human, you will become at darkest olive toned as a vampire. And it's like in the illustrated guide, Stephanie Myers gets into it and talks about it. Um, and there's a great TikToker who comes up on my For You page every single day. She's Twilight Talks and she is, she's a gem. I'm obsessed with her. And she loves and hates Twilight in equal measure. And it's the same way that I feel because like Twilight is Mormon propaganda. It is 100% yeah. Mormon propaganda. And that is very much in line with Mormonism's beliefs on dark skinned people and like how dark skin is like a stain. It's a mark. It's the mark of Cain. It's bad. And when you go to heaven, there's nobody that is dark skinned. And like, if you are naughty, you get your dark skin. Like I might be screwing up some of the Mormon doctrines, but that's one of the reasons I, they say it's not, but they say that one of the reasons that um, there were no leaders of color in the Mormon church prior to like the 1970s, then in the 1970s, heavenly father was like, Oh, it's okay for blacks. Now it's like, huh, that's so interesting how that coincided with the civil rights movement in the United <laughs> States. Isn't that crazy? One more, <laughs> one more, follow-up more follow question. Yeah. Um, to actually two more one. Yeah. So black people who become vampires become olive skinned. What if you're like a, a Latino or a middle Eastern person who becomes a vampire? Probably white, probably just white. You just probably get white. like whiter. You just skew Caucasian. You, you just I get think so. She she has a mental hierarchy from white to black, and you just get one notch up. Yeah, that's bad. People should talk about that. Yeah, literally, I was just like, why is this not showing up on my TikTok? I mean, I, I liked the porcupine with the. I'll send you. I will send you Twilight TikToks. I will send you so many Twilight TikToks. I get them every single day. Sorry, I hijacked this with Twilight mm. conversation. <laughs> that is what's interesting is occasionally I'll get like book talk stuff on mine or I'll get there's this one amazing TikToker who mm -hmm. actually like self inserts into scenes in Twilight. Have you seen her? Where like is she black? Yes. And she does Jasper really yes. well. Where she's just like, <laughs> yeah, yes. she does that face. Yes. I'm obsessed with her. I love her Jasper. She's a good Jasper. I yes. chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> well okay so do you have you seen twilight enough to know why um, that's particularly funny yes it's like i a bunch of my students were into twilight as was my sister mm -hmm. so it's like i was like all right let me see like what is going on here and i read it and just was like i only read the first one all the way through because i was like i i've gotta at least read one of them all the way through to understand what sort of mm -hmm. the, and i was just like wow this is so bad actively it's bad. bad it's very bad yeah and so i watched like part of the movies but same thing where it's like i was like wow i didn't know something could be this bad and it was like luridly fascinating because i was just like how do you how do you make so many unforced errors it's incredible <laughs> like that it's its own art form it's beautiful i will say i tried recently to read midnight sun which is the new twilight book that came out last year i think 2021 uh -huh. or 2020 and i was like oh this is like worse than i remember them being when i was 14 this is not like i can i can't tolerate how bad this it book got is worse it might not be that it got worse. It might be that I am older and was in a pandemic and was sad and was like, mm, this isn't fun right now. I'll probably come back to it. Um, I feel, but, I feel this. 
What I do want to say, though, is that I don't know if you remember, we're still talking about Twilight Day. Thank God, because I have something to add. Keep going. Okay. But the Jasper TikToks that you're talking about specifically with, I wish I remembered her uh, username with that black user. Oh, she does the face like this? Yes. You know that Jasper finds it difficult to be a vegetarian, vegetarian, the way that they are vegetarians in Twilight, where they don't have people. He's the youngest. He's not the youngest vampire, but he's the newest to that lifestyle. Also, what's so funny about that particular woman doing it is that Jasper was a Civil War Confederate soldier. And really um, awful. I love that she's like taking it back. <laughs> that's a that's a common trope in vampire things. I want to do like a I briefly talked to Dana about it, but like I want to do a whole podcast where I just talk about vampire media because I find it so fascinating <laughs> and there's so much of it. That's exactly when you were talking about like historical accuracy. What was funny is what popped in my head was I was like, what about the historical accuracy of vampire lore? And then I was like, wait, Pam, that implies that vampires are real. Then I was like, what if vampires are real? Then I'm like, but vampire lore is real. And it, it just spiraled. It spiraled mm-hmm. in my head. Um, so in conclusion, yes. <laughs> I, I wanted to bring up that mm-hmm. Remy Malik played a vampire in one of the Twilight movies. Yes. And he, his character was Egyptian. Um, his character's name was Benjamin. Don't come for me like I don't know that Rami Malek was in Twilight, breaking, the Twilight movie? Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. Um, also, you know who else was in that movie? Lee Pace. I recently watched and live tweeted watching that movie. I had Lee a Pace great time. Lee Pace is in that movie? What? Lee Pace, yeah, Lee Pace plays a patriot who loves fighting in civil war. Not civil war, but in like wars in the United States history. I don't think he fought... In the Civil War, uh, Jacob at one point in the movie asks him, like, did you fight at, I want to say it was Little Bighorn. And he was like, oh, yeah, I almost got a bite out of General Custer. So, like, in he's supposed oh. to like, be pro-Native he's American. Woke. That's good. Yeah. yeah, he's like oh a little woke God. vampire who's just like, I fucking hate the British. <laughs> it's fun to, like, always be the vampire fighting on the good side because you kind of yeah. know you're not going to die. Mm-hmm. <gasps> always help out the underdogs. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, there's a little bit of that in True Blood, which Dana, you've seen like three episodes of. So you have not seen enough of it to get there. But like Eric Northman and Godric, his maker, um, I think they fought for the good guys in World War II. Hmm. That's fun. If I was, I like to think if I was a vampire and I knew I was not going to die by a a bodily injury because I'm really Mm -hmm. scared of bodily injury. I would always help with the the underdog. It's like how Lord Byron was like, ah, the Turks, and then went to fight in the Turkish Ottoman War uh, and then just died. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, man. Mistakes were made. That was, that happened? Yeah, he went to fight in a war that he had nothing to do with just because he thought it was romantic, and he died of a sickness, not even in battle. Didn't you do, did you do an episode on Lord Byron or did I make that up? I no, episode, there was a lady. I did an episode on Lady Caroline Lamb, who was this like most famous ex. But I, I might be doing a a uh, a Byron episode eventually. His Can death I ask is a real- very dumb question. Yeah. What is Lord Byron's first name? George. Okay. George. So like, Gordon it's not Byron. Lord, and it's no. not Byron. <laughs> no, he, but he is a Lord. His name is George yeah. Gordon Byron. Mm-hmm. See, that sounds so banal, but when you add the Lord in front of it, then you're like, yeah, I'm on board. But if you're like, yeah, this is George over here. You're like, yeah, George oh, Byron. Good old, good old George. That's like when I found out that there is a, there was a president of the United States of America named Zachary Taylor. And I'm like, no, there wasn't. 
<laughs> that's a member. That's a member of a boy band in the 1990s. That's not a president of the United States in the like 1800s. No, it's not. If they're like, that's that's false. That's just false. Somebody told me that, and I was like, no. I took U.S. history. No one has ever mentioned this to me before. Is there an Animaniac song of the presidents? Like I hate, I hate that there was a president named Zachary and then named Chester Arthur. I'm like, I I didn't learn that there was a president (laughs) named Chester Arthur until I was like 11. And I was like, it's too long that I've gone without hearing about Chester Arthur. I hate it. (laughs) I'm going to be real honest. I can probably name like seven U.S. presidents. (laughs) That's not true. I can name more than seven, but some I, of them might be like, were you just important like, or were you actually president? If I don't, if I don't say this, it's going to bother me forever. He was fighting the Ottoman empire on behalf of the Greeks. Lord, Lord Byron. Byron was. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was super into Cause my only association with Lord Byron being goofy in that sector of the world. Um, I like that. I said goofy in the context of dying in a war of illness. Um, I mean, it's pretty but- <laughs> goofy for a, for a British guy just to be like, ah, the Ottomans, I shall fight right. them. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, he was very attached to this one specific temple of Poseidon that's like outside of Athens, where ostensibly that's where like the myth of like like Theseus and Ariadne and all of that came from. Uh, But it's really freaking windy. I didn't know that. So I'm going to this temple being like, ah, yes, like I will see like what inspired Lord Byron. No, I just like nearly got knocked into a pillar. Like I started like 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 army crawling on the ground because I'm like everybody else is just like hung back outside of the ruins like a normal person. I'm like, I'm going to go to the temple of Poseidon. No. <laughs> and so like if that gives you any insight into like the things that Lord Byron was into, it's that it was it was extremely foolish. Well, he so, looks he knows that he looks very dramatic when he's windswept. So yeah. I, that's that I imagine was his main goal. Oh, if hashtag soft a- boy. Oh yeah, if there was, like, by. There was a poet shirt involved, like mm-hmm. I just I just didn't have the right center of gravity. I think as a short person <laughs> to really <laughs> experience the majesty, it was more of that. This, is this how I die? Um, so, <laughs> but yes, that that is why I was just like, of course he fought on the side of the Greeks because he was very into that. Like even mm-hmm. like at that site, like I remember the guide was just like. And Lord Byron loved it here. And everyone else on the tour was like, I have no idea what that means. And I was like, oh, how very silly. I'll venture out further. <laughs> do, you ever, do you guys ever wonder like, okay, so we're all doing our things, hoping to leave a mark in society. But like if in 80 to 100 years, somebody's giving a tour and they're like, this is Karamadonqua's favorite fat burger. Like I would, <laughs> I would die all over again. Like what are the places that you feel like... <laughs> People will be like, this was her spot. Like, do you do you guys have those places? I don't know that we have those places in the same way. That, no, because like, we don't de like, Beauvoir did. You know? We don't live in like little villages. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but I mean, it's, Paris wasn't a little village. And they're all these like, oh, but they, do my goal. But they like had their little nooks in Paris. You know, they had their little corners and they didn't have cars and planes. So it's not like yeah. it's not like they're like driving to the Gelsons. Mm hmm. I guess the Gelsons near me and the Trader Joe's near me. This is mm-hmm. Nina's Gelsons. And the Wanderlust <laughs> in Atwater Village. Yeah. I just had the thought of it's like, because I just thought of Gelsons produce and it would be like this $10 apple. This is Dana's $10 apple. <laughs> Every there's time a- I walk up to go to Gelsons, I, there's one on my street corner and I forget that it's there. And yeah. I'll just pop in and get like one thing. It's always like $17. $100. Yeah. It's the closest grocery store to me. And I'm always like, oh, well, I'm just getting a tiny bit of stuff for one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, oh. I 
and it's always more expensive than I imagined. But it's across the street from a Trader Joe's, and the Trader Joe's is so crowded. Yes. Yeah. At least it's not Erewhon. Erewhon, oh, I bought oh three things there once. Never. I bought three things there once. It was $90. I was like, I could carry these things in my hands. <laughs> a nightmare. Impossible. No one it's should easier. go in. It. it is easier for me to carry the grocery items than to carry $90. <laughs> the only uh, people who should be at an Erewhon are people who are trying to spot celebrities for Dumois. I just, I didn't know that Dumois existed until very recently. Um, I was a Perez Hilton girl in high school. That was my, that was my gossip era. But I, I bring this up because I, uh, as a shock to no one, have watched the new Gossip Girl. And I think it's really fascinating to see how they've translated original Gossip Girl, which I will say was more of a Perez Hilton style site, to yes. new Gossip Girl, which is more of a Demois style like Instagram and just like society is changing right in front of us. And it's weird to like juxtapose two things, one that is now and one that is then and be like, oh yeah, this seemed really cool and hip and on the cutting edge then. But like if a kid today watched that shit, they'd be like, oh, it's a blog. (laughs) Oh my God. I saw this tweet that was talking about how millennials all phrase their biographies the same way. And it was like, like avid explorer aardvark enthusiast yeah i saw a tiktok about that tweet and everybody in the comments was like wait how am i supposed to do it and i was like thank you because i don't know what i'm supposed to do am i wrong do i seem old do i and like i know that i'm 30 i want to seem 30 but i don't want to seem 30 in like a a shitty way you know literally i'm just like yeah i want to be the cool mom i want to i want to be a cool mom I just don't, I don't want people to encounter me and like roll their eyes. You know what I mean? I don't want to be chuggy. Yeah. I love that word so much because it sounds so horrible. Like it's such an unpleasant word to say that I'm like. You have to chew it in your mouth. Yes. It viscerally feels like what it means. Mm -hmm. I love that. Although somebody pointed out that it is like a tool of misogyny to call things chuggy. And I'm like, well, you took the fun out of it. I know it is. Why can't male things be chuggy? Male things can be chuggy. I'm that's sorry. It. We need to. That's it. We need to start using chuggy as an equal opportunity tool because men do things that are embarrassing. Nantucket red shorts that go past your knees are chuggy. End of oh, story. Yes. Excellent. I, yes. Yeah. I've never understood those. It reminds me of like in Calvin and Hobbes when like he tries to wear uh, shorts, but they're not shorts because he's too small. Uh, and they, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, as a small person, I empathize with this, but also you need to make the choice. If the shorts are not shorts, you do not wear them. Right. We, are, we aren't going for some sort of weird culotte look. <laughs> uh, it's not it. And like, I think about like what you just said, where you're like, I want to be 30, but I want to be like, not like Bob 30 and like creating media. I sometimes feel that way where like, sometimes when I put out a song, I'm like, does this song scream? I genuinely like Enya in a non-ironic way. you know what you know what people can't even people bag on Enya but like do you like Lord of the Rings if you do then you like fucking Enya sorry sorry yeah I don't know if Lord of the Rings is the best example to be like yeah cool people like Enya Um, (laughs) but but I think the Lord of the Rings is you know very popular even amongst people who aren't say like Stephen Colbert who's very into Lord of the Rings like (laughs) At a certain point, I remember reading, like, reading, not after I was like, I read The Hobbit and liked it, and then I was reading Lord of the Rings, and it was so dry and detailed that I think at a certain point, I thought, 
if I'm going to learn all this fictional history, I think I would rather learn history of the real world. Oh, it's your origin story. I think it really is. I think that I'm like, oh, I'm going to learn like kings and queens. I want them to be the actual ones, not some made up fairy kings and queens. I read Lord of the Rings and I was like, there's too many plants in this. I don't. I don't fuck with this. He's no every like five minutes. He's like, and then they walked by a shrub and the shrub was shrubby and it looked like a shrub. (laughs) shrub. (laughs) That was my problem actually with trying to read game of Thrones was a description of everything that everybody ate in such detail that I was like, how many ways can you describe a roast chicken? My dude. I do. I do (laughs) freaking love when people describe food in, in books though, hit me with some of those red wall feasts, that Twitter account. That's just a red wall feast, bot. oh my God. I yeah, love like, it. And I love that Karama, you accurately pointed out, like, is this Dana's origin story? Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, like, how did you pick the lane of this is the lane that I want to be in? Was that the lane when you were I just looking? No, I don't think I didn't. I don't think I made a conscious choice of like, this is my lane now. I think my my choice of like finding my niche was like, what are the things that I genuinely like and want to talk about? And so that's how I picked, you know, that's how I pitched Noble Blood. I was like, what's the history? A, I'm knowledgeable about and B, like gravitate towards. And it was mostly like at first it was like French and British history. And then I've expanded that and been like very fascinated to learn more about like history from all over the world. And I think it only became my niche because I was like, oh, I genuinely like this and would want to talk about it. And obviously, even though it's like a job and it's hard and like, some days I don't want to do it more often than not. It's something I'm interested in and about. Yeah. That's I'm so glad you said that because like people are like, Oh, so you work in media for your job. So you just like live on, live on clouds and, and good feelings and that's it. And you're just like, no, no, <laughs> no, it Stare becomes a job. It like, that's also the thing. It's like, people also think I'm sure like writing, you're like, Oh, you're a writer. What a fun job. And it's like, no, like when you sit down at your desk, like it's still a freaking job. I'd rather just like scroll on Twitter and watch TV. There are days where I would rather put forks into my eyeballs than write a single word. I fully agree. Fork well said. Yeah, not, I, not even a god fork or like, you know, like a fork fork. A fork fork, a tool of diplomacy, just straight in my eyeball. <laughs> like it's a hay bale. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. The devil's fork straight into my ocular um, o- ocular something. Yeah, we got you. We got you. Mm-hmm. This is why, this is why I would rather stick the fork because you have to sit and think what's the word after ocular and you can't move on until you get the word after ocular. I'm like orbital. Is it the ocular orbital? But I was like, no, maybe that's just alliterative Pam. <laughs> but yeah, I'll say what's great about, um, sometimes being a sitcom writer is that sometimes when I'm writing and I'm like, I know a joke goes here. I don't have the joke yet. I'm just going to write the word joke all in caps. Yeah, and come TK. back to it. Joke TK. Joke TK. Yep. Do you know about that, Pam? The TK thing? I like that my brain is like going thus known. No, t- there are just no English words where the letters T and K appear next to each other. So if you're doing a search and find, you, you can search TK and you're never going to find another word that's supposed to be like, that's just the word, <laughs> you know, I, I like, didn't know that that was the origin of that. That's really yeah. smart. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is really smart. Cause my brain was like, oh, is it to come next? But like you, you don't in my head, it. I always say to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's th- wow. 
as you can see, like that clearly blew my mind. That is now my fact of the day that I'm like, did you know? I'm not just a pretty face who knows about Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. And like, what's, I guess I am curious about like, what's the difference between when you're like in a writer's room or working on Mm -hmm. sitcoms versus like, say what you're doing for the podcast, like things like that, like, cause they are all, I am making things, but they're different makings of things and different collaborations of things. So it's a very open-ended question of like, Hey, speak to the different things. Um, well, I think that I can't speak as much to the podcast because in terms of rain on me, we're together. We watch separately, but like, and I'll do a little bit of research, especially because I don't know the history as much. So I'm like, is this dude real? Is this guy real? He's never real. Usually never not. A real yeah, person. Never real. <laughs> like, is this Portuguese prince who's evil real? Nope, he's not. And it's no, like, oh, his hope. name will be lost to history. And I'm like, yeah, because it was never known to history. <laughs> but wouldn't that be fun if it was real? One day, I swear, one day there will be a person. I'll be like, shit, that dude's real. Oh, my God. I mean, I will say Nostradamus sounds like a guy who shouldn't be real. And he was real. That's true. Nostradamus sound like a mythical. Yes. People are like, ah, the predictions of Nostradamus. It's like, no, he was a real guy writing shit down. Yeah. I love Nostradamus. Oh, nasty. We call him old nasty, my boyfriend on the podcast, because I'm obsessed with Rossip Sutherland. Who Karama wishes she this, was like, getting, getting nasty. Yeah, I wish I was getting nasty with nasty. Um, he has this voice. He sounds like this and he makes predictions. And if you marry, marry, then it will be your end. <laughs> that's, I like that's a really good. Like, honestly, dead on. <laughs> it's like a. Batman and Yoda were like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he's a sexy <laughs> Batman Yoda baby. <laughs> and also, like, I know this is really nerdy, but I always like that Nostradamus sounds like Nosos. And I'm like, that's funny. That's funny to me. That's probably funny to like zero people, except for me. But it's funny to you. And you hold on really to that. really funny to me. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> but it means, it means not, it means only, <laughs> only I find this very funny every time his name comes up. And I'm just like, private laugh, Pam, private laugh. I will say the, the Nostradamus thing does bring up. I think it's interesting that we translate names. Like who the fuck gave us permission to do that? Why do we do that? Yeah. Like Christopher Columbus is not Christopher Columbus's name. What's his? I love how I'm like, can we speak? His wait, name? I'm like, yeah, wait, say more. His name is like Cristobal Colon or something like that. Like Christopher Columbus is just not his name. We were like, this sounds English enough. Yeah, we just made it, made it American it. sounding. Yeah, we got anglicized it. it. Um, okay, but I was to like- answer your original question um, about the difference between a writer's room and sort of more isolated stuff. It Mm -hmm. does feel more isolating. Like I love that uh, I recently just watched a cut of my season two episode of iCarly and I'm like, oh, that was so-and-so's joke. That was so-and-so's joke. And like, it's my episode, but it's all of our episode. And there are other episodes where I have a joke where I'm like, I remember coming up with that. And it's nice to have this sort of like quilt of jokes and quilt of plot that we all came up with together. And I know that that's also a very multi-cam. Dana has more experience with like single cam and Like when you told me that you just kind of like wrote your thing and then brought it back, I was like, what do you mean? And like, we do a rewrite room together and we're like clickety clack and all together. And it's like up on the screen and it's very collective. Yeah. Mine is very individual. I mean, my limited experiences, but are more like, all right, go write your episode and bring it back. Wow. That's- and we do that too. It's like you go write the writer's draft and then you bring back the writer's draft uh-huh. and everybody edits it together before you send it to the studio. 
I was going to say that's fascinating to hear like the different points of view, even of writing on shows, because that is a field that I'm not familiar with. And I think that a lot of people perceive TV writing as like sorcery because it is, um, but also like <laughs> mysterious sorcery. Like Dana, what's that like when you're, you know, tasked with writing an episode and it's like, here you go. It's also a very back. different. I mean, my She-Hulk was, was a little different than, than Beauty and the Beast, the prequel that I'm writing. Um, with this one, it was like, we all in the room make the full arc of the season and then like outline the episode in terms of like exactly what's going to happen. But like mine is like the details of what people say, but like the big beats of like what happens. And then I go off and write it for a few weeks and bring it back and then have a meeting with the showrunners and they tell me all the changes to make and I do it. That's wild to me. Yeah, I was just like, this blows my mind. Like, I was reading um, Shonda Rhimes' book, um, right? It's like the year, the year of yes, the year of yes, yes. And like, I love how she put it that it's like writing for TV. It's kind of like laying train track because then the train has to, you know, go on the track. But in my mind, like, part of it is like, okay, like having that inherent storyline already there. My brain would be like, all right, cool. I'm just filling it in. But also, like, what? Uh, is it ever paralyzing to be like, I have to do this in this certain way because the train's going to run over it and it must have track? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Cool. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but also. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, when I was reading that, like, she said that it's like a thrill and it keeps her inspired. And I'm like, that would make me probably just turn into like a, a potato rotating in a microwave, just like. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because on a, on a certain level, like we have this outline, like we've all agreed on this outline. The studio was like, yes, you can do this. This is good. And then I'm like, great, great. I know exactly what I have to do. And then I'm like, this is exactly what I have to do. Oh my God. How do I make these exact things happen in 30 minutes? Well, really 22. That's (laughs) a big one. Like always going over the episode thing. And then Sometimes you discuss things in the room for a long time. And then when you're actually writing them, you're like, oh, wait, this doesn't work the way we thought it would work. Right. And Mm -hmm. you have to like change certain things and be like, okay, I'm going to explain why that didn't work. And I need to make these tweaks. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then I'd imagine everyone has to kind of like agree about those tweaks because they probably would like butterfly effect onto other things that happen later. Well, the boss has to agree. That's, I think, an important thing about television writing. And I think any creative endeavor really is Mm -hmm. it's subjective, right? So it kind of at the end of the day, you need someone who's like this one instead of this one, or there's no, there's no, it's not like math. It's not like you can do it collectively and get the right answer. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you do need like one person to be like, okay, we're going to go with this one. Right. Yeah. And if you have two showrunners, sometimes they will not agree on yeah. which one. And they're like, we're going to talk about it and get back to you. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's never like a bad disagreement, right. but it's just, right. it's very subjective. Yeah. Because yeah. ultimately someone has to have the vision. I mean, like thinking about like Dana, like the book you just wrote, like you get to be your showrunner. It's like your vision for it. I am the showrunner indeed. Yeah. And then my editor. Yeah. And deals with the con- I mean, deals with the details, but yes, basically I'm the showrunner. <laughs> no, no, consequences. I like I that one. Consequences <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was thinking consequences and I'm like, that's a negative word, but I do mean it. There are consequences. There are all <laughs> my bad decisions. All of my bad decisions have consequences. Oh my God. As my own editor, I feel this in my soul, both of podcasts and music. Sometimes I'm like, where was I going with 70 layers of whale sounds? It seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm -hmm. I think it sounds Mm -hmm. like a good idea now. 
I want to hear it. I want to hear these whale sounds. Oh, it's fun. I now put a whale sound in every song I make just to annoy my mixer. Love that. Because <laughs> like, he started I off found with- out. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. He just thought it was a funny production choice on one song. And I, I have taken the joke too far at this point, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Go on. <laughs> oh, I found out from like Song Exploder uh, that in the song Sober by Lord, there's like a lion roar in there or a tiger. I think it's a tiger. There's like a big cat roaring. And it's like, Rawr. and I was like, I didn't even notice. But then once I found out, I was like, oh, I hear it. I like, I think this was just an interview that Phineas gave about a uh, bad guy that like the parking, what's it like waiting oh, for crosswalk yes. thing crosswalk in, thing. in Australia, in yeah. Australia is the, in the bad guy, which I think is I very I can't funny. unhear it. Yes. I remember hearing that episode because Phineas is like, his production work is just stunning. Like yeah. that, I remember when I first heard her work, I was just like, oh my God, like just all of this. And I was like, who's the producer? Cause I'm a big nerd. Um, <laughs> then when I started looking up his stuff, I was like, oh my God. And then like hearing him, he's like, yeah. So I started doing this when I was like 12 and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, cool. I was sitting in trees writing in my journal. Yeah. He's Fine. like fully a prodigy. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> I don't even know what I was doing when I was 12. I wasn't reading Twilight yet. Honestly, it's just before Twilight and after Twilight and before Twilight's a blur. Where is that on like the CW calendar? Is that like your like 412 CW? <laughs> like- well, the CW has only existed for 15 years. So technically my pre-Twilight life is all pre-CW. <laughs> like BCW? Yes, I was like, it's fascinating. Also, like what popped in my brain was like making media that we end up consuming at different ages than the people who created it. Like I think yeah. about like, mm-hmm. what I was like, for instance, even like listening to when I was 12. And I definitely remember there was like a changeover when I started listening to like, I guess what one would call like cool music. Like before I was like, I'm going to listen to like Simon and Garfunkel and show tunes and Chopin and Leonard Cohen. That sounds cool to me. I was a really cool kid that clearly got along with my peers. All the, you were the <laughs> DJ at all the parties. <laughs> oh yeah. I was like, you want to hear it? You want to hear a made up love song to uh, Emily Dickinson? Cause I got you. You want to hear some <laughs> nocturnes? <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just like, that was fine. That was totally fine. Um, but like, there's a changeover when I started listening to stuff that was like, okay, you know, I'm going to listen to this as a teenager. And I was thinking of this, Dana, because I know that your book is like at number one for young adult. And I'm thinking, okay. I'm like, I'm like, one, ah. um, and two, I realized the things I liked were being produced by people who are like our age now. It's like a lot of the stuff I was reading or listening to is made by women that were at least in like their thirties, maybe their forties, like, and I'm like, that's fascinating. And I'm like, because when I'm creating stuff, I'm not thinking about like, is this for like a teen market or an adult market? Like, I'm not thinking about that. Yeah. I always find it very weird to think about how uh, sometimes art has been created by people younger than me. And I'm enjoying no, it. Like, that's even that's weirder for me. But like Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein when she was 18 and 19. And you're like, nope, didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's That's the wild thing for me is like, it makes sense to me and it's logical in the order of the universe that people older than me would make things that I consume when right. people younger than me make things that, that I consume it, it fucks up my brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
yeah, it's very, it's very much a mind fuck. I was thinking about, I was like, should I buy makeup earlier today? And I decided no. Um, but I was also thinking about how much the cosmetics industry has changed just yeah. in like my adulthood. And it's because of Fenty. It's because of Rihanna and because of Fenty. And um, because she released 40 foundation shades at the onset of her brand. And I was like, how long ago was that even? And it was 2017. And I was like, how old was Rihanna when she did that? 29, 29 years old when she revolutionized cosmetics. I don't like that. I don't like (laughs) anyone doing anything important when they're young. I mean, but it is good because the young people push the things forward. But also no. I'm just like, damn girl. But like, it also girl, made me remember how oh, young yeah. Rihanna was when she started making music. Because if you think she was about like the 16. Past, yeah, she, she was like 16. Yeah, she was like 15 or 16. I love how distressed you are, Dana. You're just like, <laughs> well, here's the thing. You look like you're going like, to throw up. <laughs> I'm like, Karama, yes, it's good that young people are moving things forward in the world and, and progressing the world. But on the other hand, the thing that you didn't bring up is it makes me feel bad. <laughs> so I just feel like we need to weigh those two things. Right. We have global to progress here. Me feeling bad. That is possibly the whitest thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> that was amazing on like every level. I was like, I'm just witnessing this. I'm staring through time witnessing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I know. I know what you mean. Cause I just like, I mean, she's, She's a lot, um, but sometimes I think about Azalea Banks um, yes. because she the the generous thing to say is just she's a lot, and that's all I'll say on her personal whatever. Um, but like when she released two one two, I was in college and I was like, who is this cool older lady? And I'm like, she's a month younger than me. We're the same. Uh, age. <laughs> yeah. She was born in like May of like the year that we were born. She has an EP called it 1991. Now everybody knows how old I am. And I was born in April of 1991. And I'm just like, oh, this is now the point where people my age are like doing really cool things. And like, these are my peers. And even just like in college, there was a dude that we went to school with who played Coachella while he was in school. Wait, who? who? uh, Nico Jar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also Emma Watson was making Harry Potter while she was at college with us. But that was a little different because she had started earlier. But I'm just like, oh, right. Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin were dead at 27. Kurt Cobain died at 20. Like, I know the 27 club is now a thing, but like 27 is young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you really wanted to die at 27, you should have just called me. I would have done you a favor. (laughs) I didn't like it. all over now no it's so weird Mm -hmm. like I've been talking to different creators about this over the course of by the way if you had told me like that over two years I would talk to over 100 people from my living room about like making stuff and like losing their minds during a pandemic I'd be like what and then it would be like and people will listen to these conversations I'm like why (laughs) (laughs) like why would literally any of this happen um but it's fascinating because I learned as like an eternal like bog witch gremlin um, that like <laughs> I'm like, oh, yes, I con people into thinking I'm young. I am not. I am just small. <laughs> like, but I learned that like how much perception changes when you're older. But I did learn also you only grow in power. It's like your field of fucks becomes increasingly fallow, mm-hmm. so especially talking to like older female artists. Now I'm just like. Oh, I am excited about this. It's like they have this like 
I don't know how to describe it other than this like deep inner power where you're just like, I don't want to mess with you. I just mm-hmm. want to be you. You can just say Tori Amos. It's okay. Oh my God. <laughs> that interview made my life. I think 15 year old me retroactively passed on to another plane of existence. Um, but like speaking to her, speaking to like Melissa Oftemauer of Hole, who like, by the way, she started like touring when she was like 20. Like that's the thing. Same thing where it's like right off the bat, she like totally like hit like quote success. But then mm-hmm. like she opened an art center, which she totally wasn't expecting to do. And like all this different stuff. And it's like hearing these women that just like move through their lives that like even if they found like early quote success. Yeah. Like because Tori, I mean, she had so many not successes before she had success. Mm-hmm. And like hearing how she, you know, talks about all the work that she put into it. And like, by the way, it was like seriously one of the biggest honors of my life to like thank her for that, like on the part of like all the female musicians that came after her for mm-hmm. that reason. Um, but it's like hearing that it's like a lot of these people either had success and then kind of had a dip and then like kind of a rise, or that it was like nothing, 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 nothing. Like right. it kind of gave me this feeling of like, oh, cool. Okay. Not only do I got this, but like, and actually it's better the older you get because you just do stuff you like and, and you mm-hmm. care less about what other people are on board for or not, which ironically usually actually draws people to your stuff. Yeah. I was like, which Tori Amos, it's so funny because I was like, I don't know what I was doing when I was 12. I was listening to Tori Amos. Yeah. Um, I was listening to little earthquakes over and yeah. over and over and over and over again yes. to the point where I still have my diaries from like 12 to 16. Like those, that's when that, those were my prime diary writing years. And I would like write little quotes in my diary. And I, I love like when I have friends over, it's in a box somewhere now, but like, I would be like, let's read a page from my diary. <laughs> It'll be funny. And it's like, I want to die. <laughs> they are like, all, I just, <laughs> and my friends are like, I'm concerned. <laughs> it's like, I'm still here. It's fine. But I would like put a quote from a song and like for years they were all, I just read like six random ones. And they were all Tori Amos. And my friend Becca was like, you listen to a lot more Tori Amos than I would have pegged you for. (laughs) Yeah. If you had, if you had asked me whether I thought you were a big Tori Amos fan, I would not have, would not have thought so. Part of it also is that like my mom was a big Tori Amos fan. Um, So like in the early nineties. That I'm listening sense. to like little earthquakes. I'm listening. My mom was listening to like <laughs> Sinead O'Connor. She was listening to Alanis Morissette. She was listening to Tori Amos. Yeah. And so like, I grew up listening to those. So I'm like, Jagged Little Pill is my jam. <laughs> and little earthquakes, like would help me sleep still sometimes. I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to listen to um, Winter. I think that's the, the, the song. The one that's yeah. like. The yeah, so, I'm gonna cry. But yeah, that, like I was like, we're gonna cry, we're gonna cry. Don't go there, but, Karama. <laughs> but like, I know I talked about like our spots and stuff with like, oh, Karama's favorite fat burger, Dana's Gelson's, and all of that. But like, I think that it's cool to see the influence that these people and these like living legends have had yeah. on us too. Because like, I am here today because of Tori Amos. Like, yeah. literally alive because of her. <laughs> Yeah. Like that's, it's interesting that almost like, instead of having like temporal spaces, I at least have like almost like touchstones of like certain albums, certain books, certain things like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess you could be like, this is, this is the sometimes bog in Griffith park that Pam likes that sometimes it's just a a tangle of brambles. And then when it rains, it's a bog. 
I don't know why. I also think it's kind of surreal to think of like some like YA books that I read as a kid and like the not particularly famous or successful ones, but the ones that like I just like found in a random borders and read. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, this really connected with me. And I it has no like I'm sure the author has like, you know, you know, 816 followers on Twitter, you know, it's just, just like living a normal life the way that people do after they write books. And like, it really had like a real moment for me and like has no cultural ramifications outside of that. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are some pieces of your personal mythology in, in books and music? Now we know that Tori Amos is Karama's patron saint. Oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't think of like those specific ones, but like, I mean, my big ones are all like Ray Bradbury and like, that's like, very basic of like people just like the books I read that like are my load stars creatively. Yeah. I just thought I, Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's weird. Cause like you said, like living legends, like Francesca Leah Block's book, dangerous angels, like all the Weetsy bat books. I was a teenage fairy. That was a big one for me. And I remember I haven't you read told that. me that you knew Francesca Leah Block. I was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know these books. Oh my God. You gotta, I mean, it's also very LA. It's super like LA teen girl to yes. have read like Wheatsy Bat. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I've never even heard of Wheatsy Bat. Oh my gosh, Dana, you are in for a treat. It's, it's very much like LA mythologized through like the literary equivalent of like, like pink gauze and, and like sequins and nineties and vintage dresses and like Melrose when it was at the height of being Melrose and oh, like, yes. Just like everything in like kind of like a soft fairy tale aesthetic, but very LA. So it's like soft and gritty at the same time. Mm-hmm. Back um, when Melrose still had like red balls and aardvarks. Yeah. Yeah. It's Whoa. very. Yeah. Speaking of, it was her debut novel that she wrote when she was in college. See? There you See? go. <laughs> there you go. And yeah, like that meeting Francesca was like much like meeting Tori, where it was like, I was like, how is this happening? Um, and I think it is pretty cool, honestly, that like we do have living legends because if yeah. I look back at like, you know, okay, like who are people who influence me? I'm just like, oh, they're still here. I, yeah. I, I can channel them. Janet Fitch is my friend on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, you're just there. She is awesome, by the way. Like, I know. Low key, I met her by accident because I wrote an album based on the diaries of Anais Nin because see previous, wow, am I cool? Um, <laughs> and so like, not obscure at all. Um, but she was published in the same Anais Nin literary journal that I was. And we ended up at like the same party and started chatting. Same thing where it's like, now she's my Facebook friend and I have the exact same reaction each time like Janet like pops up or she says, hey, and I'm just like, yeah, she used to do like Facebook live things once a week. And I'm like, well, you're just here. You're just, yeah. you, you wrote one of the most influential books to my adolescence and you're just my Facebook friend now. And that's you're cool. Just, yeah. Wild. <laughs> it's very, it's interesting because like we do feel like people are accessible. And that was, I was curious about that, Dana, because I think out of all of us, you're like the most, you're the most online in a way that fascinates me. Yeah. It's a, it's a illness. <laughs> But what, what what do you continue? <laughs> well, I feel like Dana, you're the most online in a way that people are accessible to you. Like people see yeah. you. I feel like I'm the most like terminally online where I'm like, I know what's happening. I know the trend. Yeah. You know, everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I feel like I'm very visible online. Yeah, yeah. And I find that so interesting. Like that's what I meant by it's fascinating. I think. Cause like 
I was like, because I'm older than both of you. See previous about bog witch. Um, but it's like, and so I think that in some ways I'm more guarded online because it was like a different, weirdly, actually early internet felt a lot like TikTok does now, where it's like mm. a little wild westy, like a little weird, um, a little messy. And like, that's what the internet felt like, but it wasn't necessarily as much about like personal narrative. Whereas like, I find it so fascinating when people are present in a personal narrative way, but that other people are drawn towards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. I think it's honestly, I'm just like, I have a very short attention span and like external validation and the, <laughs> the, the social media like conglomerates have sort of hacked that and like understand that this it's at this time and this pacing that you continually refresh a social media feed. Wow. So I don't think it's like a particularly healthy thing for my brain, but yeah, I like, I like the external validation that like makes me feel less lonely. Cool. I just realized I was like, my lips are dry. Um, and it was weird because Karama mentioned makeup earlier and I was like, oh, I'm putting on Glossier, which uh, Mara said the funniest thing to me about Glossier. She was just like, it's like makeup for people who are already pretty. Yeah, it is. I'm not pretty yeah. enough for Glossier. I can't do it. My skin is is bad. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, have I flown too close to the sun? Like, do I have the hubris? But I'm just like, no, I just really like their matte lip balm things. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I don't love makeup. And I think it took me a long time to realize that. And I feel like I, there are some people who, when they don't put on makeup, they feel like they, they are like, yeah, this is not a face I want to show the world based on the world's beauty standards. But I feel like I am blessed enough to have a face that is fine. Um, (laughs) And if I don't put on makeup, no one's like, Oh my God, you left the house like that. So it is a privilege. I've gotten very lazy with makeup. I do think I look better with makeup. Like I'm one of those people that's like when I put a little effort in and I like put makeup on, then I look in a mirror and I'm like, Oh my God, who is she? What, why do I look so good today? But I just, (laughs) I can't bring myself to do it. Especially now that I like, I live with a partner. He sees me first thing when I wake up, I do not have the, uh, discipline to pull like a marvelous Mrs. Maisel and like wake up early. So, and also I'm like, not going, I like work from home. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not seeing anyone. So I'm like, this is my face now. My MO used to be like, I will sometimes wear makeup on a night out if I feel like it. And I would wear makeup for auditions. But recently, like in 2020, I was just like, everyone's dying and I don't want to put makeup on and it's fine. And it was not initially a conscious choice. Cause at first when I was doing like at home auditions, I was like, well, I'm at home. They're not going to see me like in person. I just need, I need to put on makeup. And then I really sat and thought about it. And I was like, men don't put on makeup for auditions and they still book shit. So I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Bingo. I'll be fine. And I have not put on makeup for an audition since, except for sometimes a lip, just because I'll be on camera and they need to see that my lips are a different part of my face. Um, (laughs) I get that. Yep. That's literally, that's, that's why I put it on. It's like, that's like the most I'll do is like a tinted lip balm Mm -hmm. because I am pale like ghost. Mm -hmm. And one of my main things that I do when I'm concentrating, I tend to like, like do that Mm -hmm. with my lips and it just makes them look paler. And like, I don't have a mouth. (laughs) um just a ghostly thing going on but that's fascinating what you said about like that some people like don't feel like themselves without makeup like one of my friends who does work Mm -hmm. from home like is a wonderful photographer she puts on like a full face every day because for her that's what feels like her Mm -hmm. I think you get used to very much you get used to what you see in the mirror like when I have fake lashes on like eyelash extensions the first day I have them I'm like oh my god I look like a, a maniac and then like three days afterward, I'm like, I'm used to this. And then when I don't have eyelashes, like now 
I'm like looking at my face being like, oh my God, I'm a pale Victorian ghost child. But then in like three days, I'll get used to it. So I think also like you look in the mirror and you see your face and then you get used to that. Well, and that's what's so insidious, I feel like, about the way that social media exists now. Because like in the Wild West days of the Internet, people just looked the way that people look. But now you have all these filters and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that filters are inherently bad. I do think, though, not disclosing, hey, I am a famous person who has professional makeup artists and also uses filters and also uses like I, I change the way that my body is shaped. And then you have like little kids and they're like, oh, so-and-so so pretty. I'll never look like that. It's like, so-and-so is. So-and-so like doesn't even look like $2,500 into looking like that just through apps and makeups and, uh, and things like that. Like, you know, that's I not almost, how that person I, looks. I almost always use an app to cover up zits, which is why I don't use makeup any, like I don't wear makeup day to day, but then when I want to take a selfie, I just like take it and then use an app to patch. I use the patch app. So everyone, Mm -hmm. I, my face is never as good as it looks on in pictures. I'm always covering up zits digitally. I, it's very brave of you to admit. Thank you. I I I know. Am I a hero? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Like I have horrible allergies. And so I perennially either look like I've been crying or like I'm stoned or like I was stoned and crying. And so the one thing I touch up, like for the most part, I must admit, I'm too lazy to touch up my face because like there are photos for like press or like, you know, music stuff where I'm clearly wearing a ton of makeup. Like, and the point is that I'm wearing a ton of makeup. Mm -hmm. Um, But then in all my other stuff or my stories or whatever, like this is just my face. Um, But I will sometimes whiten my eyes because like I have had people like message me like about just lots of weed questions. And I'm like, Mm. I'm not actually a stoner. I'm allergic to trees. Oh, there's nothing wrong with being a stoner. I happen to just not be high. My body thinks that grass is a mortal threat. And so like, this is just what the vibe is today. (laughs) So it's like, it's absolutely mortifying that between the ADHD and the red eyes, people are just like, oh yeah, I see what's going on here. I was like, you really don't. (laughs) You are really mistaken, my friend. (laughs) But yeah, that distortion and like that almost relates back to what I was thinking about the relatability online where it's like we relate to the avatars that people create of themselves. And I find that fascinating. And I was like, Dana, is that the part that you don't like of it? Because you were like, I like this. I don't like this. I like this, but I don't like this. Oh, no. I honestly think the thing I don't like about social media is just that it's addicting and takes up a lot of time that like I do a task and then I'm like, oh, my brain is like time to check Twitter. Yeah. And I I wish it didn't. Other than that, like I do think it like is good to be able to communicate with a bunch of people and like meet people and be in touch with people I otherwise wouldn't. But I don't like that. I think it has actively shortened my attention span Mm -hmm. and made it harder Mm -hmm. for me to focus. Yeah. What'd you say? (laughs) I was just like, yeah, as someone who doesn't have an attention span, I'm not sure if it shortened it or if it's just congruous with my internal experience, frankly. Um, I genuinely don't know. I will say one of the things that I do love about social media and like, I love TikTok. That's like probably my favorite social media platform. I don't really make TikToks. I've made like two or three TikToks total. um, And they are bad. So (laughs) I'm like, um. But one of the things I love about TikTok is like, I'm, I'm a big fan of edutainment. Um, oh, I do love TikTok uh, for edutainment. Yes. Um, and like, 
I love that we're doing that again. Like, you know, Bill and I, the science guy can just like go directly to your phone and like phones are so much more accessible now than I, I just feel like it's, it's a net positive. And I think we talk about the negatives a lot, but net positive probably. Yeah. I feel like we're refining as we go along to be like, which of these things mm-hmm. are like, yay humanity. And which of these things went, Oh no humanity in regards mm-hmm. to like media in general. Um, (laughs) I don't know how to put it other than that. I'm just like, that's very articulate, Pam. Mm -hmm. Yay, humanity, or oh no. I think that's a good note to end on. Yay, yay, humanity. Yay, or no. Yeah, yeah. Are we we giving humanity a thumbs up? Yeah, overall, (laughs) a pass. Sideways thumbs for humanity. A pass, yeah. Uh, Can we get diagonal thumbs? (laughs) I think it's a good humanity because I have two kitties who are very aggressively wanting to hang out, but especially when they want dinner. Which is a good thing about humanity. It's dinner time. I was going to say, we will will break for dinner time for kitties because that is (laughs) vital. I was like, I don't know about your cats. I have a sometimes cat. Um, She's my neighbor's cat who like has also chosen me and I feel very honored. (laughs) Yes. When she wants to come in, she has figured out the exact place to scratch on the front door behind me that sounds like a hellspawn demon because it rattles the door. Oh, fun. It's phenomenal. So I'm just like, you must respect when it is time for cats when they have chosen that it is the time. I'm like, oh no, I get it. My cats like to decide an hour before that it's their dinner time, but sometimes it actually is their dinner time. They eat at like five, right? Phil? They do. Yeah. Yeah. There you, go. there you go. You have timely cats. Mine is just more of random. I don't even have snacks here. That's the thing is she just chose me out of nowhere. Like she just decided like, yes, she's your familiar. People now. Yeah. It's Yeah. <laughs> It's the funniest thing. Like, and I'm low-key also allergic to cats and news that'll shock me. Oh. Um, well, I've that's got- why you Photoshop your eyes. Exactly. Yeah. I've gotten used to her for the most part, though. And thankfully, she's not a too much in your face cat. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, yet another reason why that is why, like, people are like, oh, it's the teeth whitening thing. I was like, oh, no, it's the eyeball whitening tool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Well, thank you both so much for your time. I'm thank glad you for so having us. This was a delightful conversation. We got to do a podcast. Also, Chrome, <laughs> your hair looks really good. Thank it you. Really my mom does. just did it for me. Yeah. Looks phenomenal. I've oh, thank you. Thank you. All. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradar.com.